talking to Sarah Massoni. Yep, Massoni. Massoni. Um, uh, she's in Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite places, by the way. Oh. Um, yeah, we, we used to cover a lot of the, um, the the events you had there, so we got to know a lot of the. Um, yeah. You got to know a lot of the food people and chefs. What was That's the wonderful. one? The, the wild and what was it? Rapid we used to go to. Feast mm-hmm. used to be here, yeah. There Which was, one? There was one. There was one. There was indeed. It was. It was some kind of feast of, yeah. of uh, live, of, not live game, but. Well, oh. anyhow, it's a food town, uh, listeners, for sure. Uh, wonderful chefs, restaurateurs, programs, and um, Sarah's going to talk to us about an, a new program that um, actually Oregon State University's actually one of um, a number of food business centers started by the United States Department of Agriculture. You said last summer, is that Correct, Sarah. Well, the call for proposals came out last summer, and the USDA just announced all the regional centers that are going to be funded on May 3rd. So it's great new news just here in the last month. Now, how many are the centers? How many of them? There are, are there? 12 centers, and they average between four and six states that are in each of the centers. So oh, wow. every region of the U.S. has coverage, even the islands. Really, that's that's a huge undertaking, isn't it? It is. It is. There is about four hundred million dollars that's going to be dispersed, and I think probably based on population, each of the different regions have different amounts of money. The uh, Northwest and Rocky Mountain region, which is where I am, because um, I'm in Oregon, it includes Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, and Wyoming. Wow. And we received $30 million that we'll be working with over five years. But what, what will you do? What is the – describe the program and also um, what, what the mission is of this program. Well, there's three main focuses. One is that we're going to be um, helping to coordinate the regional food hub system that's already started to build in each of the states and regions across the U.S. And we're focused on tribal agencies and underserved communities. Um, It's going to be collaborative work between regional commissions, stakeholders, um, federal, state, and tribal agencies to use the relevant resources that are already there in each of the states. I yeah, that, say, that was a question. Is I wondered, how is this different from the previously existing programs? Well, all of the states that have state colleges do have agricultural experiment stations and outreach programs through extension. But yeah. uh, over time, we've grown in ways that have included more rural um, community development projects that are called food hubs. And these food hubs became important during the COVID. Um, I bet they did, yeah. Yeah, because we all were going to the grocery stores and we saw there were a lot of empty shelves. And uh-huh. I think we were all thinking, hey, we, li- we have farms here re- regionally. Why aren't those folks providing food into our grocery stores and small food you know, restaurants and things like that? And so it really spurred... Um, some thinking, and I think it is the outcome now that we have these regional business centers to help 
um, grow what's already started and support the services that are kind of um, in some areas stronger. So I would say that Oregon and um, Colorado have great systems in place, and that's why we're the lead uh, institutions here in this region. Um, and we'll be um, collaborating and passing information along to our other members of our regional center so that everyone can get up to speed and help the businesses grow within the food supply chain. So the second area that we'll be um, focusing on is actually technical assistance. And that means that we'll provide direct business assistance to small and mid-sized foods companies and farm businesses like producers, processors, aggregators, distributors, and other businesses within the food supply chain. Interesting. I mean, uh, uh, what about the spirit of cooperation? I think um, you know that might, that might become an issue. Who's going to share what information? Oh, well, that's what the whole uh, regional center is based on, is collaboration and um, cooperation. And we'll each um, food center is going to identify priority areas for their region. And so I think that um, the food industry in particular is very collaborative because we all sort of succeed if we help each other. I think, you know, having different people be good at different things and then working together through aggregation and distribution, it's really going to build up a more robust food system in the U.S. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm, working with farmers is like herding cats, as they say. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, farm, of course, farmers are passionate about what they grow. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they're business people, too. So uh, basically, I think the business centers are going to meet people where they're at and with what they need. And I think that's the biggest outcome that we're going to see. And so if we can help people with the information that they need to move to the next level to grow their business, then I think we'll be successful. Now, walk us through, like, on a given day, what do you do? Ooh, so I have a really unique job. I've been actually doing my work for over 20 years, 23 actually in December. Wow. And my main focus has been to work with food entrepreneurs that have a great food idea and they want to bring it to market. Um, so that's so a, that's a about, big deal. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what stops all these people, creative people, with their ideas in, in their tracks, is figuring out how to actually um, realize that they're issues. Yeah, and I'm a really practical person. I just, you know, I'm boots on the ground. I just help people figure out what they need to do next. I think a lot of times there's no shortage of great ideas. It's all the other right. things that go into it. It's the it. execution of it. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> so, so somebody comes up with the idea that, um, uh, say, um, loquats, because I just got an email yeah. about loquats, um, uh, would be a great product. Mm-hmm. And, and they have some sort of interest in, in the uh, the growing of them and the trees, and they need to do something further to start a business. They come to you with their idea, yeah. or they just 
explain, yeah. just walk us through this, pro- this process. Okay, so if somebody needs help with development of a food product and they uh, would like to speak to us, they can just reach out through our website and we'll connect with them and send out what's called a uh, uh, intake form and it's just a big list of questions that we want people to sort of think about before they meet with us and it gives them an opportunity to sort of articulate their thoughts and then we set up a meeting um, usually now it's on zoom because zooms what everybody does right. and we get to know the people and see what their ideas are and many times the work ends up getting done in a very short amount of time on that call but I can just help direct people and sort of send them off in a way that will sort of take them in their process to the next level of what they need to do. And sometimes people actually come into the Food Innovation Center and they work with us in the kitchens, and we help them with a product that they already have. Maybe it's a grandma recipe, a special cookie, or some sauce that their family loves. And it usually starts for someone when they serve something at a dinner party or share it with friends and everyone says to them, oh, this is so good. Sell it. <laughs> yeah, you, this is so good. You have to bottle it and sell it. And so mm-hmm. they hear it so many times and then they finally get up the courage. And I would say to, there's only so many people on any given day that really want to start a food company. And we really help that very first thought Um, take shape and sometimes people will actually contract with our innovation center to do a little bit more in-depth work for them where we do actually develop a recipe formula and um, collect the intellectual property for them and then turn it back over to them so that they can manufacture the food either in their home kitchen a shared use kitchen or maybe even by a co-packer yeah, I mean, we interview a lot of people that started businesses in their kitchens. <laughs> yes. I mean, in most states have um, kitchen, they allow home use kitchen licensure and people can, cottage industry, you know, get started that way. And many of those folks will sell their products in the local farmer's market. That's a great place yeah, to start. Yeah, that's where most of them start, yeah. I was going to ask you, about involvement in that because I remember being in Poland on the on the day of the Poland State University Farmers Market. Oh, you got to boy, go. Boy, oh, that was boy, fun. Boy, is that an operation, huh? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's brilliant. That's a yeah. brilliant farmers market. In fact, it's, gorgeous. it's world-renowned. I think people from all of the world come to this area to try and figure out what it is that we do and maybe how could they do the same thing in their city. And it's multifaceted. There's business support. There's food science support. There's um, community support. The State Department of Agriculture is supportive. Our county health inspectors are supportive. So it's been sort of a long-term goal for our region to create a food ecosystem. And I think we're really seeing a lot of benefits from that commitment to help grow our region in a food systems way. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, one of the things, just because we're in the food media business, that when we travel, and we used to travel quite a lot, I mean, not so much in the last few years, but yeah. um, one of the things always on our list to check off was the, the local um, 
um, the, the farmer's market? I mean, the farmer's market really is where innovation is. So if mm-hmm. you're traveling in a city and you want to know about the food scene, go to the farmer's market. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and, and this is true in European countries, too. I mean, some of them are just knock your socks off. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, yeah. from when I was a small child, we traveled. My dad took us over in 1974. We had a Volkswagen van, and we traveled around Europe learning about <laughs> cheese. And I remember in Holland, in Holland, they brought all the cheese out into the marketplace out on the plaza, and you could walk around and choose which you know, enormous oh, yeah. wheels of cheese you wanted to buy. Well, we, we, it's funny Funny we should talk about cheese because is it, is it in Wisconsin, sweetheart, the University of Wisconsin, which has a program that teaches farmers how to make cheese the right way. That's yeah. right. Oregon State University has that same um, program. In fact, I'm helping plan for this fall in October. We're going to have a hands-on cheese-making course from milking the cow and then the milk gets piped over into the cheese parlor and then making cheese right there, right like within a few minutes of milking the cows. It's going to be great fun. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Now, um, have you had any um, real surprises and, and innovative ideas or anything because you've been doing it over 20 years you said i mean i think the best innovation is actually when i can help somebody learn something that they don't know Uh and so really innovation to me is information and sharing information empowering people really is where innovation happens i think give us an example Oh, well, let's see. Um, I had a fellow from Washington State. He was a fisherman, and he was harvesting sea cucumbers. um, Oh, I love sea cucumbers. (laughs) You do? Well, the funny thing is, you know, you buy them from Asia, and they're dried, and then you have to rehydrate. I like the ones they have in in Spain. um, I mean, nobody will tell you what they are. What do they call them, rabbits? Well, so the sea cucumbers he was harvesting here off the west coast in the Pacific Ocean are brown, and the preferred color is black, apparently. So he came here to the Food Innovation Center, and over the course of several meetings in the kitchen, we figured out how to dye the brown cucumbers <laughs> black. It was super fun, and what we ended up doing, I don't know, it just took me a little bit of thought. I was like, oh, duh, we can just use squid ink. So we used squid ink to dye them black. Now, I have no idea if the fellow actually did this work, but we resolved the the thought, and I gave oh, him funny. the information. And, and, you know, the sea cucumber is like a lot of work to eat that. There's only a small strip of yeah, meat in the center. You know, it, it's so hard to come by because the the fishermen kind of kept it as their own little secret, yeah, and and, and didn't uh, share, and yeah. and so it's it's still hard to come by in uh, off the um, uh, what coast of the east coast of Spain, yeah, um, so th- like Barcelona and, and that area, and yeah. and yeah, um, and but once 
they they found that it's the, another very important component of the kind of thing you're doing is yeah. the um, public publicizing it, the PR yeah. factor. Yes, PR is so important. In fact, we're going to go to the fancy food show in New York, so I'll be out your way in June. I have a group of 10 or 11 food companies coming with me to be in an area called Incubator Village. Are you going to be at the show? No, we... we used to always cover it, you know, but it's it's really intense three days. <laughs> it is. I mean, I remember going like the first time, I was probably 20 years ago, I ate so many olives and pieces of cheese and prosciutto, I made myself sick. And now I'm more picky since I get to go a couple times a year. I sort of walk down the aisles and I have my favorite things that I pick out to eat. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we- we'll... We've gone. We've covered them for years, actually, and um, uh, I get we we are on the uh, media list, and so uh, we, we get sent a lot of of samples, and then get to interview all these, and they're fascinating oh, people. That's I mean, wonderful. Yeah, but yeah, the, uh, yeah. I mean, but it's 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 hard <laughs> to cover all that food, and every year yeah. it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So the reason I brought it up is because you asked about press, and uh, I just arranged to bring my ten food entrepreneurs to meet with Jen Cohen in the press room on Saturday, the twenty fourth, at one p.m. We're going to get to visit with her and talk about the importance of press. And I've always felt for many years the companies that I've been involved with who actually send out press releases and are very transparent about what they're doing are the most successful because people that eat food want to know the story behind the food. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's kind yeah. of what we've been doing for 20 years on this <laughs> program, wow. podcast. Um, yeah, and, and people are always interested in it. So, um, yeah, but it, it, it's just... There's so many products. The competition is so so intense in the in the specialty food industry. Um, yeah. the, I mean, you have to have something that 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 sort of bends things in your favor and and the edges and through PR. Yeah, you have to have that unique selling point. In fact, I always tell startup people I met with a couple this week. I go right on the whiteboard and I say, okay, here's your Here's your TikTok board. Um, you are in the center. You need to go find out who are the eight competitors that are doing similar things that you are and find out what you can do that's different that will give you those unique selling points. You got it. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the fascinating things about the Fancy Food Show is the, the large number of people exhibiting who are from outside the university. I mean, they're from outside the country. Yes, yes. There's a huge huge Italian section. There's a huge French section. Mm -hmm. This sponsor this year, the feature is Morocco. Yes, Morocco. I was going to say that too. I'm looking forward to the ribbon cutting and all the great things that go along with it. I've, um, I've sat on the board of directors for the association for the last three years okay. and i really yeah i really enjoyed being the voice of the food entrepreneur and helping create programs and um different things that'll help start with the startups 
Yeah, they're, they're demos. The Specialty Food Association demos um, and are very important. I mean, they tackle yeah. some really nitty-gritty yeah. kinds of issues that nobody wants to talk about in yeah. the whole industry. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's good to follow trends. I mean, I mean, it's a good way of following trends. Cause yes. you could, you, I couldn't do it two ways. I could do it through cookbooks, which people send me all the time. And yeah. I can do it through the fancy food shows. Yeah, fancy food show is really um, a welcoming place for a startup company. And yeah. the nice part about it is the focus on connecting with buyers. And right. so, I mean, the major thing is here you are creating this food product. You have to find someone to sell it to. And I'm right. hoping the business center, the regional business center, is going to um, help create those connections as well. Well, that's important part of what you're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, and we'll help with aggregation and teaching and educating people and capacity building too. There's going to be lots of sub-awards that that these regional centers, they're going to be able to give out money to support projects focused on the regional needs. So there will be much more expansion with the investments coming through the programs. Like how? I mean, well, there's going to be um, business planning activities and that collaboration, like you were talking about. How do we get people to work together? Oh yeah, that's uh, a hard one. Software implementation. So there are programs that can help run these small businesses and collaboration, um, and also equipment, which is pretty unusual. Equipment is going to be something that people can use sub awards for to bring their companies to the next level, and also food safety training, which is super important. We need to make sure that our food systems oh, are safe. Right, right. Yeah. Um, the, how, how do people know that you exist? I mean, you must do an awful lot of marketing of, of the um, centers themselves, right? Well, our Food Innovation Center is really a regional center already, and we do help people from around the West Coast, but the original intent was to assist people here in Oregon. But uh-huh. if you were to Google Food Innovation Center, you'll notice that there's, oh, I don't know, 12 or 15 now across the U.S. And I think in each of the 12 regions, we probably have a similar Food Innovation Center that will be working in the technical assistance and coordination areas for each of the regional centers. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. Um, you, you need to give us your um, website for people who, who want to follow through with this. Okay, so you can find the OSU Food Innovation Center. It's a really easy um, web address. It's F as in Frank, I as in Igloo, C as in Wait, Cat. Wait, tell me that again. F as in Frank. Yeah, F. F-I-C for Food Innovation Center. I see. Okay. At um, Oregon State. Oregon so State. All spelled out, and then it's .edu. So you can just type in fic.oregonstate.edu, and you'll find all sorts of information. And E-D-U. you can also do a um, Google search on my name, and you'll find there was a article written in the New York Times in 2018 about me. And oh, okay. I'm not You're doing famous. self-promotion, You're but it famous. tells us. 
I guess it tells the story of how I work with people, and that's maybe an Im- interesting piece to look at. Great. And, and, and listeners, again, um, we're talking, it's Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H, and it's M-A-S-O-N-I is her last name. Yes. And, and, and you, if you're going to Google things, you want to get a hold of the USDA Regional Food Business Centers, and then specifically the FIC.OregonState.edu. And um, I hope that sends you on your way, all you potential entrepreneurs out there. Yes. Well, Sarah, you sound like you're enjoying your job, so I think that's great. It's a great job, and I wanted to just do a a shameless pitch. I actually have a podcast, too. It's called uh, Meaningful Marketplace and Masonian Marshall, and you can find it on all the platforms. And we uh, interview female food entrepreneurs and mostly startups, and I think we're nowhere near. Again, let me have that again. Okay, it's Meaningful Marketplace. Meaningful marketplace marketplace and Masson- it's by Masoni and Marshall we're the hosts and we speak mostly with uh, female food entrepreneurs and they tell their story you. tell their story of how they got started and the thing that's cool is that you can learn from the conversations that we have with these gals um, if you're trying to start your own food business you know, there, there are a lot of women. I mean, they are in. We, we, I mean, I started out with a predilection for showcasing a lot of the women in the business, and mm-hmm. and, and uh, pickings originally were pretty slim, and then I can tell you it's picked up dramatically in the yeah. last number of years. Yeah. Yeah, and also, um, okay, we haven't discriminated. We actually did have like three men in 140 interviews. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> that's very that's very decent of you. <laughs> oh boy! Well, keep having fun, and and I, I, I really um, I, I'm really excited that, that all this is happening. Yeah, it's uh, great fun. Yeah, we talk to so many people who need this kind of help, and I really think it's worthwhile um, program expansion for the USDA. Mm-hmm. As well, just to show yeah. you what an, op- what, what an open book I am. I was talking to somebody today, and she said, My, "I'm I'm Wendy," and I said, "That's really nice because I'm Peter Pan." She didn't even crack a smile. <laughs> oh, she, she was she's too, she's too too young a person, I think. <laughs> well, you sort of wonder how many times she's heard that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well, keep up the good work. And, um, and yeah, and let us know if, if any developments you think would be Sure, I'd love to her. come back on and chat with you every so often. So whenever that would you, be great. Yeah, whenever you feel like finding out what's going on, just drop me a line. I'm... Always happy to join you. Oh, great, Sarah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye for now.
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. There we go. <laughs> We're Wonderful. talking to, to Jessica Little of Sweetgrass Dairy, and um, uh, they make cheese. Uh, let's let's talk to her first of all. Uh, Jessica, could you put a point on the map as to where your farm is? Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Um, I look so happy here. in the photo on your web page. You and your husband look so happy together. (laughs) Well, I can tell you working with your spouse, it's not always happy moments and rainbows, but there is a (laughs) sense of uh, accomplishment and pride when when it works out well. So we are thankful to work together. But, yes, we are located in Thomasville, Georgia, which is in the southwest part of the state. We're about an hour north of Tallahassee, Florida, which many people don't know where that is either. So it's an easier reference point if I say we're four hours south of Atlanta and four hours north of Orlando. So kind of right there in the middle. Oh, boy, you um, are in the middle. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up there? I mean, did you pick the, mm. the spot for any particular reason? Or are you from there or what? Yes. Yeah, so I am from here. My My dad is actually a fourth-generation dairy farmer, and he grew up about an hour outside of Buffalo, New York, but he got recruited to play football down at the University of Georgia where he met my mom, and he said one winter winter in Georgia, he was not going back to western New York. It was uh, way too sunny here. (laughs) I can have been in Buffalo when it snows. I understand completely. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's a lot of work. Right. Yes, um, so yeah, well, yes, yeah, so could, they just both. You can imagine the 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 challenge. I'm sure of farming in that snow. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, what do they grow there? I don't even know. It's well, a very they did. Short um, they, it is, but it's you know it's a dairy. He was up there in dairy country, so they were able to get a corn crop in and put up a lot of hay for the wintertime. And, you know, it's a short but, um, you know, successful growing season, I suppose. But yeah. so my dad and mom met at University of Georgia. They're both animal science majors, and they were hired out of college to be herdsmen or dairy managers here in Georgia. And okay. they farmed um, conventionally. And in 1993, they switched over to this New Zealand rotational grazing-style farm, and it was the best decision they ever made. And my mom said, everybody deserves to have this great grass-based milk from cows that are barn-free. They never have to live in barns because we have very mild winters. And unlimited water, we sit on top of the Florida aquifer, so we're able to grow an incredible amount of grass. So the creamery was actually her vision. And, I, you know, growing up in South Georgia, I said I would never live here. I did not want to live here. It's so boring. It's very rural. <laughs> I went to college and, uh, you know, then lived in Atlanta because it's kind of a rite of passage. If you grow up south, I think everybody makes a way through Atlanta at some point. And, you know, had met my now husband, Jeremy, who was 
He's got a degree in psychology, but he was saving up money and, and working in really great kitchens, trying to become an executive chef. And he was the one that said, oh, my gosh, your mom is on to something. I, I would love to go back and learn how to make cheese with her. And I thought he was crazy. Yeah. So, um, so we came back in 2002, and then my parents uh, gave us the opportunity to buy the creamery part, just the creamery part, in 2005, which we did. And now my brother is the fifth-generation dairy farmer in our family to take over the dairy farm. So definitely a family-owned and operated endeavor, and um, it's been a great place to raise our kids. So as much as I complained about it and thought I would be miserable here, it's, it's actually been quite a great life for us. <laughs> now, now, hold on a second. Let me, let me ask you a couple of questions here. It, it seems likely to me that... The the weather would be a problem in southern Georgia because it'd be too hot. Yes, and I would definitely agree with you um, that our biggest challenge has been the heat and the humidity. So we have had to take a lot of steps to mitigate the heat. And I think that most dairy farmers, if you're a really good dairy farmer, then um, you are going to do whatever you can to have longevity in your cows and make them as comfortable as you possibly can. So, okay. you know, I, I think that cows in northern Vermont or even in Wisconsin, they're probably pretty unhappy, you know, uh, after being in the barn for five months, they're ready to go outside. And for us, our cows are uncomfortable in July and August and September. So we do a lot of you know, irrigation sprinkling uh, to keep okay. them cool, also hanging out in the woods. And my parents have done a lot of crossbreeding, so they have a much smaller cow, uh, whereas a oh, Holstein cow can be 2,000 pounds. Our cows are about 1,200 pounds, and they're all at least 50% Jersey, which handle the heat okay. a whole lot better than okay, the, so the big cows. So, they, so. So, the, so the original stock was Jersey, and what, what did they breed yes. together with that? So... Um, yes, the original stock was Jersey for the rotational grazing farm, but then um, in the late 2000s when ethanol became a thing, it was really hard to stay in business the amount of milk that Jersey's produced. So they had to start incorporating some crossbreeds like New Zealand Frisian and oh, yeah. some Norwegian Red. Um, they've got a little bit of Brown Swiss. There's even some beef breeds like Cinepole and Limousine and some Normand from northern France to be able to have a little bit more heat tolerance without getting too big. So it's a, it, these are cows that are not going to win any beauty pageant, but they work <laughs> really well in our system. So they're perfect. You, you, you know, I mean, I, I spent my summers on a dairy farm. My, my great uncle had a dairy a farm and dairy um, and, um, and mainly milk. Um, and he, he, had not a free hour on, in his whole life to do anything. Yeah. It was so labor intensive. It's not the easiest kind of farm to, to run. It is not. You are absolutely right. And we're seeing so many of the, um, especially down here with our co-op, our milk co-op, it's now the third and fourth generation that would be normally taking over the farms, and they're just leaving. They don't want to come back because it is such hard work. Um, it is so, hard, yeah. So that's why we're so thankful that my brother, um, my dad says it's in his blood, so maybe one of these grandkids will uh, want to continue on. We'll see in the future. 
be very proud. I had a calf named after me. I was so proud of that. <laughs> I'm sure she was adorable. <laughs> it was certainly adorable. <laughs> no, no, every, every, you, you are cheese centric. If I'm, if I'm we, right there, you, you have a, no, yes. a rather large number of varieties of cheese. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But, but, yes. but in the meantime, that, I mean, that, you don't sell milk in Atlanta. You, you don't sell milk in Jacksonville. You don't sell milk no. in Tallahassee. Well, I just named no. three cities that are fairly that are fairly close by. Yes. But, but you, you yep, decided it's all, cheese is the thing. Huh? Yes, we just do cheese, and the rest of the milk that my brother produces is sold to a co-op that is mixed with everybody else's milk in the co-op and sold predominantly to Publix, which you know is our big grocery chain here in the okay, south. I'm but. But yes, which was also the motivating factor for my mom to start the creamery in 2000 because she said, oh my gosh, this milk is so different from these cows out on grass. I really think that we need to show people the value of this regenerative agriculture and humane animal husbandry and just the different yeah. flavor profile. And out of all the dairy products, you know, you only need four ingredients and you can make thousands of different styles of cheeses. And um, it was the most artistic and scientific at the same time, and uh, cheese was, was our vehicle. So I think milk and uh, some of the other, you know, dairy products that are in the dairy case, that is really, really hard to compete as a small producer, whereas cheese is in the specialty department, and so it's treated a little bit differently, and it's, it's easier to to get some of that shelf space and, um, yeah, let, you know, let, let not me, have to me. fight the corporation's. Let me share a little story with you because I, I don't you the cheese culture I guess there are lots of people growing cheese but they're like a big happy family but we we did interview some years ago the people from Point Point Reyes cheese in right. California yeah and uh, and they 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 said they told us the funniest story because the the father of the of the group had always grown milk that's all he did he did mm -hmm. he did milk cuz that's what you did right and then w one one day uh, the old man decided he wanted to retire so the sisters there were four sisters i think they all got together and said w what are we going to do we we don't think we can make a living doing whole milk we need to do cheese so that's what we're going to do and they, they've been immensely successful but oh, they, yeah. they, they took, truly they, have they took the plunge they took a plunge very similar to the one you took I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody said by, by the way if you make cheese we'll buy all the cheese you can make that's right it, it's hard it's a hard business but yes I love the Giacomini's and they we basically have started our creameries about the same time and they were the very oh, first really? American creamery that I went to visit in 2001 and um, they were so kind to share so much information and Lynn and I the third sister and I talk all the time so it, it really is a, a really kind and collaborative industry and although we even make some very similar styles of cheese it's 
we, we don't necessarily feel like competitors because nobody's making enough for everyone, right? So the more of us right. that can be telling the story of artisan cheeses, like other artisan cheesemakers are not our competition. What we're trying to do is offer better options than the industrialized, you know, cheese that's made in 400-pound blocks that, you know, never gets touched by human hands and, or, you know, <laughs> that, those, those are the cheeses that we want to take the place of on the shelves. So, um, but, yes, it, I, the Giacominis are, are hugely inspired. Yeah, they're, they're and I, really I nice people. Them. Yeah, we've interviewed them a number of times over the years. Well, yeah. the, the, the people from Rogue are fairly sneaky too. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're yes, yes. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're good so too, many. Right? Yes, very good, and so many great um, business uh, people and food-loving cheesemakers out there for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, there we love cheesemakers. And we also love uh, chocolatiers. They're, they're both Ooh. really unique groups of people. You know, yeah. Uh, so. yeah. Here's, a funny, here's a funny little snippet for you. The, the, the big wheel in cheese in Britain, my native land, is, is not a farmer. They're actually producers and buyers and sellers of cheese. The operation's called Neil's Yard. And Neil, oh, yeah. Neil's Yard is in Oh, well, that's heaven. That's heaven. I mean, heaven. Our, our son and and his he took his family over, and all they could go on about was the smells near <laughs> Neil's yard. I mean, it was so wonderful. Can, of course, they love cheese. You can smell Neil's yard three blocks away. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> it it so, truly you, is. Now tell me how many cheeses. Um, no. You, you, did you? Who taught you how to make cheese? Did you go to all these different farms and like you did with the, uh, the Poirés? I mean, did, how did you learn um, to make? Yes, yeah, so great question. Now, my mom, when she started making cheese, again, this was her original vision. She literally started with most cheesemakers about our time. They started with a book from Ricky Carroll called Cheese Making at Home and. She was making different <laughs> recipes every day. And then she went out to the um, cheese-making course at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and okay. just okay. fell in love with the science part of it. So she had oh, learned yeah. a lot of kind of the artistic side, making it at home. And then um, when Jeremy and I decided to come back in 2002, my mom hired a cheesemaker from France to come over uh, oh, for wow. about three months, and he, his name was Jean-Marc, and he was from the Pyrenees Mountains of France, okay, and he was sure. a multi-generational cheesemaker. And so Jeremy was able to, you know, work side-by-side side with Jean-Marc for several months um, in learning, and then he has then um, since gone on and done a cheesemaking course at Sterling College in Vermont in conjunction with Jasper Hill. So Matteo has been incredibly uh, generous with his information and, and time with Jeremy, as well as several cheese-making courses in France. So you'll see that with most of our cheeses, they're very French-inspired. Yeah, um, well, you, I, would you, I like your tagline. Oh, I'm looking for it now. Um, the uh, old world cheeses meet new world farming techniques. That's perfect for, for your business, isn't it? Yes, and, you know, it, it is... It's, I think, not unlike the wine world is that 
there's so much incredible history and um, just really high quality that exists in Europe. And so we're just trying to make really high quality cheeses here. But we have different milk. We have different weather. We have different grasses. We have different cattle. And so it, it really does produce a different flavor profile, although, you know, we're still mimicking some of those really wonderful techniques that have been, you know, documented for centuries, you know, over in Europe. But you, you mentioned rotational grazing, and that's something you do? Yes, it is. It is. That... We, we, have, we have good friends here who, who farm sheep, mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. not cows. But they, do, they they introduce rotational grazing into, if you like, the the, uh, the 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 sheep farming trend here in the United States. Yes, yes. They, and, and most it, of this. It, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I mean I was going to say, and they found out how much the ewes loved having. Um, having babies in the open field as opposed to in the barn. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> well, a lot of this, tech, you know, a lot of the the documentation of rotational grazing comes from New Zealand. They have really done a great job of kind of almost standardizing the system and how it's done well. And so if you think about New Zealand, they have more sheep than people. So lots of uh, study in rotational grazing in sheep and, and cows. So, yeah, every 12 hours, our cows go to a new paddock or pasture yeah. um, for, you know, rotational grazing. And, and we definitely believe that that is what makes our cheeses the most unique, uh, more so than even Jeremy's technique in the creamery. It's uh, really the, the milk that we can use. Yeah, now, um, how many different kinds do you make? I mean, it, a lot, a lot. it takes a lot of space and, and labor to, to make all these different kinds. And you have how many kinds? Well, we we really only have eight a year round that we have, um, you know, all the time. And then we also have some seasonal offerings. And then we have certain cheeses that we only sell through our e-commerce channel and our cheese shop in downtown Thomasville. And then, um, so not all of them get distributed on a wider scale just because, like you said, it takes a lot of space and um, we don't have that much. And again, our biggest challenge is the heat and we sit on top of very coastal sandy plain soils. So you don't have to go down very far before you hit the water table. So nowhere around here has basements. So it's not easy for us to build caves (laughs) for aging. So, you know, our cheeses, we want to age them. Uh, it, it costs a lot to run those coolers, so we want to age them as, as little time as we possibly can. That's why you won't see, a, you know, 12-month or 18-month cheddar um, or a large, you know, 200-pound wheel of Emmentaler in our portfolio. It would just cost way too much to age that um, in our coolers here. So, yes, you're right, lots of space. Well, I, I started out with blue cheese, with ash. With ash oh, he loves blue cheese. Just, just, just to show you what oh. my, my, my prejudices are, but I'm wondering, did, did, did you ever explore farming and making cheese out of buffalo milk? Like they oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, we would love that so much. I don't know. I don't know enough about buffalo to uh, know if they could handle our heat. I would imagine it's pretty hot in Campania. 
um, where they yeah, have that, a lot of the buffalo mozzarella. That's, that's where yeah. a lot of them are. Yes, exactly. But they 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 yeah. they have them um, hidden away when you try to find one. <laughs> they might we be hanging they, out in the water, swore, keeping cool. Well, we, we swore they were lying lying to us because we never we never saw one. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then, and then yes. on one trip we made, we made the right turn, and there, and there, and there were the big old buffaloes. The the interesting Buffalo. part of the story, the interesting part of the story, is we did we interview what, the people people we interviewed in from Colombia, in in, in mm, South America. Yes, and there there are huge herds of buffalo. Because oh, they, right, I forgot about that. Because the local population imported <coughs> buffalo in order to be able to in order to be able to break up the forest. Yes. So, so yes, they, I they, actually love that they mozzarella. Were not, they, were not, they were not cheesemakers at all. Uh, and now, now they have thousands, right, at that farm. They, they, they have a lot of them, I think, yes. Yeah, no, one of your cheeses that I haven't tasted is pimento. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess if you're in the South, you've got to do that, right? <laughs> I've never well, understood you know, pimento. So, you know, I love that you brought that up. So, yes, if you are in the South, which, okay, so I will preface this with Jeremy is from Toledo, Ohio. He is not from the South. But when we opened this little cheese shop in downtown Thomasville, we opened it up. It was almost all retail, and we had these three little tables in the back, and this was back in 2010, where we had then, you know, by 2010, we were traveling and doing these national trade shows, whether it was, you know, the Specialty Food Association, Fancy Food Show, or IDDBA, or, you know. Yeah. So we were able to really travel and go into all of the, we'd pop in and out of these little wine bars with cheese shops and you know, and I started saying to Jeremy, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that um, there's all these exciting wine and cheese bars out there. I wish I, I was starting to get mad about living in Thomasville again. And then I channeled my inner mother who is like, well, you can either keep complaining about it or you can do something about it. <laughs> so, so we came back from New York at the Fancy Food Show in 2010. And within three months, we had opened this little cheese shop and wine bar. And we had these three tables in the back where you could just get these, you know, cheese boards, and um, and we felt like we needed some sort of dip or something because we found that people would come and hang out with, like, the cheers, you know, where they would want to have a glass oh, of yeah. wine and just a dip. So I went to Jeremy and I said, I know you didn't grow up here in the South, but can you help us make a pimento cheese? And he is not one to shy away from a challenge. So um, he said, well, I don't want to compete with everybody's grandmother's recipe. Because here in the South, everybody's grandmother yeah, has that's, the Yeah, that's recipe. it, yeah. Yes, and they have their own tweaks. And onions are no onions, pickles are no pickles, black pepper or no, you know, cayenne pepper, whatever. <laughs> and um, Jeremy was a Spanish miner, so he had spent some time in Spain and really loved the flavor profile of smoked paprika or pimentone. Oh, and right. peppers, and so he said, well, if we're going to make a pimento cheese, it's going to be different, um, so we don't have to compete with everybody's grandmother's recipe, and I want to make the highest quality that we can. So, we so I'm going to taste that home. for sure, right? Yes. I, I will absolutely. I've shied away from it because 
I mean, most of the fermented cheeses that you get, like we, our kids lived in South Carolina for a while. It was awful stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. There's some really bad pimento cheese out there for sure. But we love, you know, one, it tells the story of us being here in the South. But number two, it's the only raw milk pimento cheese that we know of on the market. So we use Thomasville Tome as the base. And um, it, it has been such a fun cheese to add to our lineup because most pimento cheese makers are just dips and spreads makers. They're not cheese makers by trade. So we actually right. can control the entire process, you know, from the milk all the way to the, the final product. And we were so thankful to have this product during COVID because prior to COVID, uh, almost 80% of our sales was through food service channels or restaurants, you know, hotels, convention uh-huh. centers, you know, that area. Well, all of that disappeared with COVID. And the only two cheeses that we had that were exact weight barcoded were our Green Hill, which is similar to a brie, and our pimento cheese. So I like to say those two cheeses almost single-handedly saved us in 2020. Oh, so it, it has a special place in my heart for that you know, reason well, as well. We sold me. I'm going to try that one. I was sort of shying away from that one. <laughs> I, I, didn't I give you some of the Thomasville Tomy to try? Yes, yes. I, I very finished good. that one too. Oh, you did? Huh? Yeah, I, I can't get to them fast enough. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he can put away a lot of cheese, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, now, what, what's your most popular, aside from uh, pimento, what is your most popular cheese? So we probably, uh, well, we don't probably, I know how much we use. <laughs> Our most popular two cheeses are the Green Hill, the one I was telling you about. So it's double cream cow's milk with a white bluey yeah. rind, so similar to a brie, um, which really tells the story of our grass-based cows. Um, it's named after our first rotational grazing dairy called Green Hill Dairy. And um, it is, you know, just really approachable and buttery, um, and rich and, and not too funky. It's not a camembert, although it's kind of the same size as a camembert. Uh-huh. And and then our Thomasville Tome. So that was the first cheese that Jeremy learned how to make from Jean-Marc. You know, it's made more of a Pyrenees Tome style, but yeah. it's raw milk. It's uncooked, unpressed with a natural rind. And really, you know, like Jeremy says, it's it's his job as a cheesemaker to just not mess up this really high-quality milk. So we think it's a good vehicle you know, you get that really earthy, mushroomy, grassy flavor profile um, with the tome. I'm with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, and, and yeah, and the other thing that's interesting about your marketing um, efforts is these little brochures that you send that tells you what cheese goes with. You know, you have the cheese pairing guide on the back of your little brochure. Do we still have you, Jessica? What happened to Jessica? I don't know. Maybe she thought you were hanging up. Uh-oh, there you are. Uh-oh, oh, there, there you are. are. Okay, good. Oh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> um, but anyhow, um, so tell us about your pairing guys you have because yes. uh, that's that's one of the things that people have trouble with is what to, to pair with what and you do yes. um comparison with like 
beer, wine, savory, sweet, and then you have something called a wild card. Tell us about how you do do this. Sure. So this might be my favorite part of the the process is really trying to figure out different pairings for our cheeses. And, you know, this starts with, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of hard, hard work of tasting different wines and cheeses together um, that I love so much. But then, you know, the, the food pairings are not only, you know, Jeremy is an incredible cook. So what, you know, he's cooking at home, but also the, chefs, I was telling you that most of our cheese is sold through that food service channel, so we see it on menus all over, and it's just been so great to see the different flavor profiles and different pairings that um, chefs have come up with, and we will take that back with us and say, oh, yeah, this this makes complete sense. I love, you know, um, these cheeses with this you know, savory pairing or a sweet pairing, um, because I find that when people are making a cheese board, sometimes it's a little bit easier to pair those sweet things. Um, but in use in cooking, sometimes it's the savory components that you want to pull out. And the wild card are, are things that just you would never guess, like our Georgia Gouda. Oh, they, let's, like let's just run popcorn. through them. Let, let me run okay. through a few of them because they're very funny. It's um, candied ginger. Now, who, who has candied ginger on a, a cheese board? And then we have um, uh, oh, the lentils. Well, that's that's something that I could see. I could understand why mm-hmm. that would go. But, again, you don't see that very often. Uh, dark mm-hmm. chocolate, the I've seen before. Uh, caramelized onions. Uh, pesto, we've done that a lot, the basil pesto. Oh, I bet. I bet. And, Usually you don't see French fries on the cheese board either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't knock a, a good late night snack. French fries and pimento cheese go so well together. <laughs> I bet so. And then uh, your candied jalapenos. That's that is a wild card. Yes. Now that's delicious. your little moves. What are your little moves? Yes. So um, little move was a, a really fun project for us because. Um, it is a fresh cow's milk cheese that's almost like a blank slate. It's it's a blank canvas that um, we predominantly sell to chefs uh, that they can utilize in a wide range of applications. So it can go, like if you're going to pair it on a cheese board, it's so easy to just put little moo with a little bit of, say, jalapeno raspberry jam or a pepper jelly on top. Wonderful. So delicious. But you can also utilize it in different recipes. Like right now in the cheese shop, we have a Little Moo cheesecake. So it would replace mascarpone or ricotta or cream cheese. And um, it gives you a little bit more tangy, uh, bright kind of lactic flavor profile. And um, we see it a lot in brunch menus um, or dessert menus. And uh, we have it either in plain or with garlic and chives. So think of like a clean, no preservatives, no additives, no fillers or binders of, like, a borson, you know, spread with wow. garlic and chives. Well, I'll tell you, Jessica, I don't know how long you've been doing this. You sure know a lot about it. I mean, it's really a pleasure talking to you about it. Um, uh, and, uh, well, thank we, you. We have one more thing to, to tell our listeners, and that is this wonderful cheese, how do you get it? Yes. So... You can find it in um, some, you know, retailers such as Whole Foods or 
certain regions of Kroger, the Fresh Market, Earth Fair. Um, it's, you know, kind of hit or miss. We're, we're hoping to have a barcode finder on it. It's on our website, so eventually you can locate it in your area. Okay. But we also have an e-commerce uh, part of our website. It's sweetgrassdairy.com where you can find all of our cheeses, including those ones that I told you were made specifically just for e-commerce, and we call it our Paradox Project. So that's Jeremy's kind of R&D and innovation playground that we've launched through our, our website and uh, Chief Shop. So a lot of fun there. Well, I, I knew this was going to be a fun interview, <laughs> and it certainly has been. Um, I, I wish you much more continued success because you you really have created a a, a little paradise of, of moo stuff. <laughs> oh, well thank you. I yeah. greatly appreciate that. It's uh it's been a, a fun journey and uh it's been hard but we look forward to the future. I think um like this year has been a very uh special year for us because our Asher Blue, I know we were talking about that earlier I it won it, a yeah. Sophie Award, which was so, so incredible. And it's so – it, Jeremy's very favorite cheese to make and eat is blue cheese. So for that cheese to get picked for a Sophie was such a, a win and a lift for him. But it's also the name of our second son, and this cheese is named after him, and this is the year that he graduated high school. So I'm saying oh, it's great. the year of Asher. <laughs> so oh, that's lots wonderful. Lots of wins around here. Well, that is a big win because the competition and and for Sophie and cheese is like astronomical and so hard. It it it, it really is. We were we yeah. were absolutely thrilled and uh, yep. Look forward to you know more more in the future. Like you were saying, I I feel like the older I get, the more that I realize how I don't know and uh, I will never know everything there is to know about cheese or milk. I'm so thankful that this is the journey that I'm on and uh, look forward to learning even more in the future. Well, you're a delight to talk to. And hello to everybody and all your cute little cows as well. Oh, <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you for talking to us. And um, mm-hmm. listeners, rush and get this cheese because it's worth every every bite. <laughs> it's wonderful oh, Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity you, to tell you our story. Okay. And listeners, <laughs> once again, it's sweet grass dairy. And that pretty much sums up the kind of quality that, that, that you're looking at in this cheese. Anyhow, um Keep us posted. If you do anything, new directions, let us know. You got it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. Bye-bye. Bye.